Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. When traveling to a national park, not everything goes as planned. Maybe you've been disappointed about the crowds, or maybe you couldn't find lodging inside the park, or maybe you weren't able to squeeze in everything you wanted to do. But have you ever found yourself complaining about scenery that you determined to be substandard or dismissing the exact feature for which the park is known? This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. Today, the traveler is Lynn Riddick, with some voice talent courtesy of Susan Emerson and Stuart Eldridge, talks to a graphic designer and illustrator who mines the one-star internet reviews from disgruntled National Park goers and turns them into something we can all laugh at. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Western National Parks Association is a nonprofit education partner of the National Park Service. WNPA supports parks across the West, developing products, services, and programs that enhance the visitor experience, understanding, and appreciation of national parks. Learn more at WNPA.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Petrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com, P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Saguaro National Park. Okay, if you like cactus. Zion National Park. The scenery is distant and impersonal. Wind Cave National Park. Seen a few caves, seen them all. Not everyone emerges from a national park vacation impressed. And when that happens, there's no better tool to share your disappointment to the world than the internet. For you may have traveled to what you ultimately determined was a subpar park, and you are poised at the keyboard to offer your scathing review. Denali National Park. Barren wasteland of tundra. My guest today is Amber Scher from Raleigh, North Carolina. She's a graphic designer and illustrator who was puzzled at first by one-star reviews of some of the most beautiful places in the country, our national parks and monuments. But then she got the idea to collect these comments, juxtapose them with original illustrations, and post them weekly on Instagram. The result? 
a hilarious stream of baffling critiques from disgruntled and dissatisfied vacationers whose national park trip just didn't measure up to their expectations. Hi, Amber. Welcome to The Traveler. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, you can't please all of the people all the time, and you have turned these ridiculous comments into high art. And a lot of these <laughs> and a lot of these reviews made me laugh out loud. So I'll be interspersing them throughout our conversation. Sound good to you? Sounds great. Well, I understand the whole thing started with some less than glowing reviews that you saw on Reddit. Take us back to that point in time and the genesis of your subpar parks account. Yeah, so uh, at the end of 2019, which feels like a lifetime ago at this point, I was wanting to put together an illustration project for myself um, just to sort of keep me uh, on my toes with my illustration work and um, potentially move into that outdoor industry a little bit. And, you know, most people who love the parks, their goal is to visit all of them. So I thought it would be fun to illustrate them all. But I wanted a sort of twist because um, I have a really good sense of humor and I, you know, just wanted some way to make them stand out a little bit just because there are already so many really cool illustration series on the parks. And I was just kind of noodling on that, trying to figure out what my angle could be. And I just hopped on Reddit one day and I think it was on the National Park subreddit. And I <laughs> wound up finding a post that someone had pulled together of just a few different reviews. I think one of them was the Yellowstone, save yourself some money, boil some water at home one. And it was just like a bolt of lightning. I was like, wow, that's it. I, Cause I actually started illustrating by way of hand lettering where I draw the actual words. And so I had wanted a way to incorporate some words as well. So it just sort of pulled together really immediately and really perfectly. And Subpar Parks was born. Well, you must have gotten that great gut feeling that you were onto something. It sounds like you did. So did you test your ideas first somewhere with someone on someone? Um, I actually was in a little online class um, called Passion to Paid by another illustrator named Lauren Hom. And that's sort of how I got into wanting to create a passion project anyway, because she's sort of the queen of passion projects and they've really furthered her career and there's a group for that class so I immediately went and posted in the class I had a couple of ideas for the name I was like it could be just one star parks um, at first I noodled on sub parks like combining subpar and parks but uh, among my friends with a quick straw poll no one really it didn't click together very quickly and so everyone really immediately had great feedback first subpar parks as the name and concept and I just got to drawing right away got a few of them in the can and just started posting at the end of December so I tested it a little bit but really just kind of dove right in and you are very outdoorsy correct you like to visit the parks you like to hike I do um, I actually just got back from a month-long road trip out to a bunch of different parks and other public lands yeah, I mean, I spend as much of my time as I can in my local and state parks, and I like to plan bigger trips out to some of the larger parks and public lands whenever I can. What were the first illustration review combos that you did? Uh, the very first one was Arches. Arches National Park. Looks nothing like the license plate. 
not really sure why I started with that one. It just, I think I really just wanted to draw a delicate arch. Um, and that one was that it looks nothing like the license plate. And I actually just saw it in real life for the first time, like two weeks ago. And I can confirm it doesn't look anything like the license plate, but it is a whole lot better. <laughs> um, and then I think it was Joshua Tree and the Grand Canyon after that. And it really started to take hold with people from just those three. Joshua Tree National Park. The only thing to do here is walk around the desert. Grand Canyon National Park. A hole. A very, very large hole. Well, I'm curious about your artistic process. Your illustrations have a simple, almost silkscreen look. And of course, the lettering is such a contrast to the gripey reviews. So how many starts and stops did you have before you found the combination that felt right? Um, the lettering was pretty quick. Um, it's actually sort of funny. I just had been developing this sort of more vintage feeling lettering style for a while. So... That was pretty, uh, pretty solidified pretty quickly, just because that's also just the style I tend to do. And illustration-wise, it it has actually kind of evolved from the beginning. I think they're a little less. They started out pretty flat, I would say, um, just stylistically. And I've slowly incorporated a bit more detail, just as I've gotten better, but also just as some of the scenery I've taken on has become a bit more complex. But yeah, I really wanted to keep it uh, really simple and clean, almost a bit of a nod to those original, you know, WPA posters that everyone knows, the sort of iconic set of park posters. But it also is just sort of my natural illustration style to keep things really like simplified and textural and just sort of summarize the visual gist. I really wanted to just evoke the, the scenery without it being, you know, just like a carbon copy of a photograph. Mammoth Cave National Park. Cold, dark, Damp and stinky. Badlands National Park. The only thing bad about these lands is the entire experience. When you first saw some of these gripey reviews, these, you know, displeased reviews, you were puzzled because you couldn't understand how someone would have such a, an off experience about a scenic area. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, um, I grew up going to parks. Um, I wouldn't say my family is necessarily the most outdoorsy family. We definitely hiked and explored the parks a lot, but it wasn't anything, you know, super hardcore. Um, but at, from a very young age, we would, my dad was in the Navy and we moved around quite a bit. And we also would travel to visit family that lived far away and we'd always road trip. So we'd be stopping at parks all the time. And I just, I don't ever remember not being <laughs> impressed no matter what age I was or even how grumpy I was. The Grand Canyon, um, I saw when I was 10, almost 11. And I think that was probably the grumpiest I've ever been. I had like hit my head <laughs> a few minutes before we pulled up and I was like really upset. And it still was an experience that just stuck with me. Um, I immediately wanted to go down there and see what was at the bottom and just reading all the educational signage they had. And just, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't tear myself away. I was so excited. So it's, it's just baffling to me that someone could look at that and just be like, ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because like you said, you hit your head and yet you still really had a great experience and really 
enjoyed the scenery and didn't reduce the experience at all. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a place that stuck with me so much that when a good friend of mine sort of offhandedly mentioned that she'd wanted to do this backpacking trip through um, some tribal lands that actually sort of intersect with the Grand Canyon, I immediately was like, yeah, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> and started researching it. And that was some 20 years after that initial encounter with the canyon. So I'm Lynn Riddick, and I'm speaking with artist and graphic designer Amber Scher. And we'll be back with more bad reviews after this message. Listener and reader support make National Parks Traveler possible every day of the year. If you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio. It's an environmental learning center, training center, conference center, and leadership center, all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. Do you love one-click shopping? With our partner, Interior Federal Credit Union, you can earn rewards just by making online purchases. You're missing out on rewards points if you're not using their Visa credit and or debit card. By adding these cards to your online shopping cart with Amazon, Walmart, or other shopping retailers, you can earn a point for every dollar you spent. Binge watching a lot with streaming services like Netflix and Hulu? Use their card for recurring payments to earn points as well. Visit their website, interiorfcu.org, and read their blog for more details and how to apply. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people, inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. You can see their successes at gtnpf.org. Death Valley National Park. Ugliest place I've ever seen. I'm Lynn Riddick, and I'm back with Amber Share. The popularity of your Instagram account, which has 348,000 followers at last count, has led to your creation of a book entitled America's Most Extraordinary National Parks and Their Least Impressed Visitors. And your book, I saw a copy of it. I saw your manuscript. Um, is more than just reviews and illustrations. It's well-organized and well-researched. You've got facts and figures about the national parks, anecdotes, tips from real park rangers, and, of course, your own snarky retorts to the one-star reviews. How did the book come about? Did you seek out a publisher, or did a publisher seek you out? Um, I actually had... I had already had a lot of people telling me I should turn it into a book and that just really overwhelmed me to think about how to do. And so I kind of just put it off. And then eventually I had a few different agents uh, in my inbox wanting to chat about it. So 
I wound up working with Avitas Creative Management um, to represent me through the process and they've been really, really amazing. And so they were the ones who, we worked on a proposal for the book together and they were able to coordinate with publishers um, before we finally connected with my publisher, which is Plume. And yeah, I mean, it came together very slowly at first and then very, very quickly. Um, so all in all, it's been just under a year, I think that it's all gonna be finished within but yeah, it's been it's been a pretty wild ride. And you have a good publicist because I saw a story about you in the Washington Post. Are you getting inundated by interview uh, requests? Um, I am. I mean, I kind of have been for a while. <laughs> so it's really nice to have someone to help me with all of that now. Yeah, it's I think there's a lot of really cool features coming up. Uh, it's it's really an exciting time. Well, how did you approach the research and did you have any help? Um, I did have a little help. I um was chatting for a long time, really before the book even took shape with um, a couple of folks over at the National Park Foundation. And they just were incredibly helpful just with sending me some resources to sort of help me find my way to make sure I was pulling good information. So I've been using a lot of the resources from the National Park Foundation and the National Park Service to do a lot of the research on the parks and also a lot of different um, indigenous accounts as well, just because that history is really important to highlight. So I've definitely tried my best to sort of really dig in to the parks and not just publish, you know, there are a lot of untrue facts out there um, about a lot of the parks. So we really tried to fact check ourselves and make sure uh, the best possible information was represented. Well, the fun thing about these reviews in your book and on your Instagram account is that the reviewer often feels the natural setting could be improved, <laughs> like, <laughs> like more bears or whales or fewer insects or taller mountains. So you discovered that there are actually categories of criticism. Can you break those categories of complaints down for us? Yeah, there are definitely a few that emerged. And I think the one you've highlighted the most is what I, what I like to call wildlife is wild and weather is weather. Big Bend National Park. It rained on me in the friggin' desert. Channel Islands National Park. Ooh, too many birds. What's there naturally is what's there. It's, it's not been curated. It's not been designed. I mean, trails have certainly been mapped out and roads have been carved through, but generally the natural experience that you're getting is just what's there um, and is not being controlled or curated in any way. I have a lot of rangers tell me that they get visitors asking what time wildlife are released or where they're released. Um, if the geysers are controlled by a, by like a water plumbing system, <laughs> just like all kinds of wild things that you would never, if, if you're familiar with the parks, it's sort of mind boggling that someone might think that. But if you're not familiar with the parks, um, I guess I can kind of see how you might think it's, it's a created experience because sometimes what you're looking at just feels too good to be true. Although I guess some people disagree. <laughs> um, yeah, that's just really kind of the major one is people being disgruntled with just what is completely beyond human control. And that's sort of why you're there is to experience this, this place that's not been created by man. So what other categories? Um, my favorite one is what I call that's a feature, not a bug, which is 
just people complaining about sort of exactly why people go there. It's a little bit related to the previous category, but it's definitely its own thing. Just where people will complain about like a desert park being just the desert <laughs> or, you know, all I saw was mountains, some trees and a lake. Like that's what the park is. And it's never pretended to be anything else. North Cascades National Park. Too many mountains, trees, snow, etc. Bryce Canyon National Park. Too orange, too spiky. Sometimes what people experience is like the pinnacle thing at that park that most visitors would just sort of die to be able to see while they're there. And people are complaining that it it happened to them. It just wasn't that exciting, <laughs> which is just so funny to me. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Uh, what other categories? Um, there are a lot of complaints about cell service, Wi-Fi, <laughs> etc., um, which I call unplugging is kind of the point. Voyagers National Park. There was no one except us. Isle Royal National Park. No cell service and terrible Wi-Fi. Which, you know, I just spent a month out in the parks and I totally can see how it can be frustrating sometimes to not have service, especially when, you know, you really need to look something up, directions or something like that, um, which I think you can avoid by just preparing and having things downloaded in advance or even paper copies of maps and whatnot. So for that type of review, I always just think, but why did you come to a big remote park if not to unplug for a little while? <laughs> That's true. Any other categories? <laughs> the last one I sort of notice a lot is sort of technically true, where what they're saying about the park isn't wrong, but it's also just really reducing the park to kind of the least interesting way you could describe it like the grand canyon being just a very large hole like i mean yeah if you want to define a hole as hundreds of miles long super deep canyon sure it is just a very large hole but that's really reductive and dismissive of something that's a world wonder devil's tower national monument just a big rock statue of liberty national monument a big green statue, and that's it. Well, I'm sure there are lots of people that, whether it's interest or lack of time, arrive at a national park, get there, and then take a quick glimpse and then leave. I have an acquaintance who had gone to Yellowstone, and uh, I said, hey, well, did you go to the Grand Teton National Park while you were there? Because you drive right past it from the airport. And she said, well, we didn't go there because, well, you know, it was all right there. You could see it from the road. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that was my first awakening into um, sort of folks that just didn't want to or didn't have the time to invest in a park experience. Yeah, that's certainly, I think, where a lot of this comes from. I actually, in my research for the book, I found a spreadsheet um, from the Park Service that sort of summarizes average visitor hours to all the different parks. And so I actually averaged them all. <laughs> and um, I think on average, people spend less than two and a half hours in a park. And to me, that's just crazy because even some of the smaller parks that I've been to, I just, even if you just do the scenic drive and go to all the overlooks, it's gonna be longer than that if you really spend the time taking in what you're looking at at the overlooks. So it's, it's bonkers to me that someone could 
drive into Yellowstone, spend two and a half hours there and think they understand it. <laughs> um, some of these parks just, you really have to allow yourself the time to really experience them and give them the respect that they deserve. You said in the book that this was a community building project during the lonely COVID months. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that was sort of an unexpected aspect of the project. Um, and now it's kind of inseparable from the project. But shortly after I started, just a couple months after is when COVID really started to take hold globally. And we were all kind of on lockdown and stuck in our homes. And I started just getting so many stories from people being nostalgic for their times in the park or sharing my posts and talking about how much they would give to just be able to go there right now. Um, and here are people complaining about their experiences there. So it's really, it really evolved into this very cool situation where so many people have shared just their personal stories and experiences and photos um, from their times in the park. And I think it created this space where people could share their own experiences with the parks that are just, they stand in deep contrast to the, those reviews. So it just became this really wonderful thing where I'd see people even just connecting in the comments over how much they loved the park that was featured that week and their childhood or adult memories there. And it, it just became this very cool thing that I did not expect. Well, I think the internet just offers everyone a voice and we all want to share our experience. We all want to say something. We all want to be heard. A passage in your book offers some good advice on taking internet comments with a grain of salt and that these crazy postings are a good example. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, one of the, the feelings that emerged pretty quickly while I was working on all of these was just man, if someone can look at these incredible places and just find something not only to complain about, but <laughs> to feel that they have enough of a complaint about it, that they go leave a one-star review on the internet with that comment <laughs> is just, you know, complete proof that you will never please everyone <laughs> in your life. There's actually another artist I follow who always says, you are not pizza. You can't please everyone. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard that. Honestly, even pizza can't please everyone. People complain all day about people who eat Hawaiian pizza, which for the record is delicious. But yeah, I just think it's it's a really wonderful example of kind of not taking that criticism too seriously. I actually had a lot of people who work in customer facing and service based industries reaching out to me and talking about how much my project meant to them just because it did show them that, that they can just kind of laugh at some of these people who feel that they do have the right to voice some of these complaints that are ridiculous. Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Nothing specific to do. Do you have any plans to draw all the parks and their associated bad reviews eventually? Um, I've done the 63, like sort of what are called the scenic parks. Um, and now I'm working through a lot of other parks. I don't know if I'll do all of them because there are some 400 plus at this point, uh, different, <laughs> different units that are national park service, uh, monitors and manages, but I've also been trying to do some that are uh, managed by different agencies as well, just to show people the sort of diversity of public lands um, that you can visit, like ones managed by BLM or the Forest Service, or even 
uh, indigenous park agencies like some Navajo parks. So I've really been trying to show people just sort of the breadth of places that there are in this country and the world even. I've done a few international parks um, to visit. So I'm not sure if I'll work my way through all of them, but I'm definitely gonna keep going while I'm still enjoying it. <laughs> you know, you cover some pretty obscure national parks and uh, monuments. Yeah, that's been one of the most fun parts of the project is when I started, I thought I kind of knew even what all the 62 parks were. In my head, I was like, yeah, I, I know them. And then a 63rd one was added while I did the project. But as I was researching and, you know, finding different collections of photos to sort of pull inspiration from for my illustrations, I realized that I some of these parks I'd never even heard of and other ones I really just knew in name only and didn't really know anything about. Um, so it's been a very cool project for me personally to learn so much more about all of these amazing places, but also to get to pass that learning on to other people because I've had so many people reach out to me and tell me that a park they'd never heard of is now at the top of their list of places to visit because they researched it after seeing my post about it. So it's been really cool to think that I've maybe influenced people to look beyond sort of the, the iconic parks that everyone knows about and see even some places that might be almost in their backyard that they've never heard of. What are you working on right now? Uh, I actually, since I just got back from my month long trip, I'm going to be doing sort of a chronological series of illustrations of all the parks I visited on my trip. So some of them will be revisiting ones I've already drawn and doing a new review and a new piece of scenery from that park, but just sort of sharing the timeline of my trip and what I did in each place and what I learned along the way. And um, there's definitely been a lot of interest from my followers in learning more about how I planned and executed a trip like that because it was a massive undertaking. So I'm hoping to just kind of share that and make that feel more achievable for people who maybe want to plan a big park trip, but just don't really know where to start. Have you experienced any uh, burnout or increased pressure due to the popularity and the book coming out? Oh, definitely. I initially was planning to draw alongside the trip and post like after I went to each park, post a review within a few days. And after we got out on the road and started going, I just realized that that was not at all where I, what I needed to be doing. Um, it's been pretty go, go, go since this project started taking off. Um, and I, I just recognized that I just needed that, that month to just sort of revel in where I was and what I was getting to do. And just in all the things I've achieved in the last year and a half um, and just kind of take a break from the sort of social media engine. And um, it, I mean, I did share a lot on my Instagram stories during the trip, but I really just decided to take the pressure off of myself and not force myself to also try to illustrate while just trying to enjoy these awesome places I was getting to hang out in. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for living in the moment. Definitely. And it's, I mean, in the world of social media, it's really, really tough to do that. And like I said, I still shared bits and pieces of the trip, but also spent several days like several periods of several days just being out where I didn't have service at all. And it was really a blessing to just kind of sit there and take it all in. 
You might need to come out with another book because what can be even funnier than comments from disgruntled reviewers are the follow-up comments from other people who have great understated sarcasm. Here's some I found on your Instagram feed. Olympic National Park. No wow factor. Also, it's cold and rainy. Cold, rainy, and no wow factor. Got it. Theodore Roosevelt National Park. There are no real attractions here. And Teddy was nowhere to be found. <laughs> you think if they named the park after him, he might show up now and then. Petrified Forest National Park. Basically a desert with some dead trees. Hey, Scooby-Doo, another national park for you and the gang to investigate. Someone's killing the trees here. Sequoia National Park. There are bugs and they will bite you on your face. I can't believe the park didn't train their bugs not to bite people's faces, amateurs. So what do you think of a sequel? <laughs> I think that'd be so funny. Honestly, I think I have some of the funniest followers. They will DM me like the most hilarious little one-liner jokes or comment on the posts with them. And sometimes I just am like kicking myself that I didn't think of it for my caption. <laughs> um, so I would love to, to do a, a follow-up that just, you know, showcases all of the amazing humor that has developed in response to some of these comments. Yosemite National Park. <sighs> Trees block view. And there are too many gray rocks. And too round. The highest points are all round. Mountains should be pointy. Hashtag, I like my peaks pointy. Do you think after all this, people might start intentionally writing ridiculous reviews and spoil the fun? <laughs> oh, it's definitely already happened. Um, <laughs> but it actually, what's funny is that was already happening before I started the project. I think there were just already people who recognized how funny it was that people were leaving authentic one-star reviews. So they started leaving fake ones. There are, there are many out there that are several years old that are very obviously a joke. Like, what the heck? There was no Starbucks here. And if you look at the person's reviews, it's really obvious that it was a joke. Um, but yeah, it's definitely started happening a little bit more. I've always said from the beginning that I actually don't use any reviews that have been more recently published. Pretty much all of them are from before I actually started the project. So if people are doing that to try to get on a poster, it won't be happening, but um, Julie unless Warren. they can, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I try to, I try to make that clear a lot that like, no, I won't be taking your comment seriously and using it, but yeah, it's going to happen. And honestly, I, I think it's pretty harmless if it does just because to me, the fact that you even can review a park on the internet is just still so mind boggling to me. There are absolutely some things that need to be out there for people to know, like if, if accessibility is a concern or um, things like that, I think it's important that people can voice that. But the fact that so many people use it to critique things beyond the control of a person are where it gets me. So I don't know. I, I'm not bothered by people putting more one-star reviews out there because I think it's all ridiculous in the first place. Rocky Mountain National Park. Super unimpressed. Well, Amber, like you say on your Instagram feed, apparently America's best idea wasn't that great. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, good luck with your projects. And in the meantime, we'll hope that the Park Service will make those mountains a little taller 
and those petrified trees less dead. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Don't waste your time. To learn more about Amber's project, watch for Subpar Parks, which will be released on July 13th. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, in celebration of the 4th of July, Lynn travels to Fort McHenry National Monument and Shrine, where the Battle of Baltimore on September 13th and 14th of 1814 inspired Francis Scott Key to write the words that became the U.S. National Anthem. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcast. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.